Well, welcome to Northridge. It's great to see you this morning. Thank you for being here. If you're a guest, I am the musical talent here at Northridge Church. <laughs> Not really. We are reversing things up so that we can focus on the truth, and then that will lead us into what I hope will be a defining moment of worship for all of us as we focus in on the central point of the Bible from Genesis to Revelation, the central point of the ministry, the story of Jesus, the central point of what defines Christianity, the cross. And so we're thrilled to have you here this weekend. We're thankful that you're here. And as we think about Palm Sunday and the week that led to what we call Good Friday, the cross, and then what we celebrate next weekend in Easter, we have to understand the cross. And the cross has become a really common reality in our world, a common symbol in our world. And people even wear it as jewelry, right? I mean, rings and necklaces and earrings, the cross, which is weird when you think about it. Because I can't imagine someone wearing a, a gold noose or a silver electric chair. Can you? And yet it's the exact same thing because the cross was an instrument of capital punishment. It was an instrument of death, very much like the noose or the electric chair, with one exception. It was far more cruel, far more heinous. It was a, it was a death of torture. It was as dramatic as it could get. And yet now, here in the 21st century, the cross is a symbol proudly worn and displayed by multitudes of people. I mean, how could that be? Well, it's not because of the cross itself. That'd be ludicrous. It's because of, ultimately, what Jesus did on the cross. What Jesus did on the cross turned that which was the worst evil that a human could invent into one of the most beautiful symbols and icons of faith and positive realities that there is, the cross. It's what he did on it that changed the view. The problem is... Most people don't understand what he did on it. Even those who proclaim to be putting their faith in the cross don't really understand the full intent, the full meaning of the cross, that it is the primary focus of the entire Bible from beginning to end. And so that's what we need to do if we're going to really wear the cross, if we're going to live the cross in a way that makes sense. Picture this. The cross makes sense. Here's the truth this weekend. Jesus suffered and died on the cross to satisfy two tension-filled characteristics in the nature of God, his justice and his grace. Justice and grace put each other in tension, and yet God embraces them both fully, part of his full character and nature, and Jesus suffered and died to satisfy them. It's clearly expressed all the way through the Bible. Let me just give you two examples. Romans chapter 6, verse 23. For the wages of sin is death. That's justice. You want to know what the punishment, what the penalty, what the consequence of disobeying God is? It's death. And that makes sense because death is the, God is the source of life. And so if you push God out of your life, you lose life. The wages of sin is death. But, and this is the interesting tension, the gift of God, what God offers to all men, is life in Christ Jesus our Lord. Though sin produces death, 
God wants to offer life, justice and grace. Look at 2 Corinthians 5.21. God made him, Jesus, who had no sin, to be sin for us, so that in him we might become the righteousness, the goodness of God. That's interesting because it's talking about justice and grace again. God made him who had no sin. What justice would have delivered to Jesus was life. What justice would deliver to us, those of us in humanity who have sinned, every single one of us, is death. But God turned it around and said, the one who justly deserves life will die, and those who justly deserve to die will be offered life. And it's justice and grace side by side. Jesus suffered and died on the cross to satisfy God's justice and grace. Now, this is where people get stuck. I mean, they really get stuck at the cross, and it makes sense that they get stuck there because it is difficult to comprehend. It's, it's very abstract to those of us who live in the 21st century. I mean, how many of us, outside of jewelry and wall decor, have seen a cross? It's not an instrument of torture anymore. It's not a reality in our world anymore. It's, it's unique. But people get stuck there for more reasons than that. They get stuck there because they don't get why Jesus had to bleed and die and suffer this torturous and gory death in the first place. I mean, why did Jesus have to die like this in order for God to forgive us of our sins? I mean, in their minds, he's God. I mean, as God, can he do whatever he wants to do? He spoke the universe into existence, so can he just speak a word of forgiveness? Wink at all of our failures and say it's not all that bad. Just take the really, really bad stuff that happened in history and punish those people, but let the rest of us off. He's God. Why does he have to crucify Jesus on a cross just to forgive? And because they don't get this, because they don't comprehend it, they, they just can't figure the cross out. It doesn't make sense to them. Well, that's the focus this weekend. But to get there, we need to know and we need to understand some things. In fact, we have to go all the way back to the beginning, the beginning of the Bible, the beginning of, of humanity in this universe. God created Adam and Eve, and he created them in his image. You can read about that in Genesis chapter 1 and following. They were pure. They were innocent. They had no sin. They had no guilt. They were without shame, no dysfunction, no distortion in their character, truly in the image of God. And created in the image of God, they had free choice. They could choose. They weren't automatons. They weren't robots. They weren't fatalistically programmed towards certain behavior. They were in the image of God, and they could choose. And the great symbol of their ability to choose was that in this perfect paradise, this garden where everything was there for their enjoyment, with a perfect relationship with God and a perfect relationship with one another, God put one thing that didn't fit. It was called the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. They didn't need it, and it's the one thing God commanded them not to eat the fruit of because they didn't need it. It was the one choice that they could make that would reject God in their lives, kind of put themselves on the throne of their own universe. But God said, if you choose to be your own God, if you choose to go your own way, if you choose to disobey me, then there's only one result, death. You'll be separated from me, God said, and since I provide life, you'll lose life. Since I'm the source of joy and love and purpose and hope, you'll lose those things. You can choose to disobey, but when you do, you'll choose death. They chose to disobey, and they chose death. 
Now that's where we've come to the first thing we really have to understand if we're going to make sense of the cross because you see in that moment Adam and Eve's sin created at least from our view a seeming dilemma for God. It created what seems to be a dilemma, something that's unsolvable because you see on the one hand God is holy and just, holy, perfect, just. Psalm 99.9 says, For the Lord our God is holy. 2 Thessalonians 1.6 says, God is just. What does justice do? What it promises. I mean, someone who is just delivers on their word. So if this is all there is to God, that he is holy and just, what would have happened immediately upon their disobedience? He would have been true to his word, and they would have died immediately, stopped breathing Someone who is just can't compromise justice. They can't just overlook a crime. I mean, would you think that if one of your family members were murdered and it was proven beyond a reasonable doubt in court and the jury convicted them of murder and then the judge looks and says, you know, I want to be a nice person. I'm going to let them off. Would you call that just, that judge just or a criminal? Someone who's just fulfills the consequences of justice. They fulfill their word. And since God is just, he has to be true to his word. Holiness and just is what represent God, but it's not all that represents God, because on the one hand, God is holy and just, but on the other hand, God is merciful and forgiving. Look at Daniel chapter 9, verse 9. The Lord our God is merciful and forgiving. I plagiarized the Bible in my outline. Do you see that? not plagiarism it's preaching on the other hand God is merciful and forgiving Daniel 9 9 says it that's odd because it puts the push on justice it creates conflict and tension in the middle because someone who is merciful and forgiving can't compromise that part of themselves they need to forgive so here we have God holy and just he needs to be true to his word he can't wink at sin he can't overlook the punishment that's been promised he can't just let us off the hook he says The wages of sin is death. And so he has to be true to his word. There has to be death in the wake of sin. But he's also a God of mercy and forgiveness. And so he needs to forgive. He needs to offer forgiveness. And so we have this seeming dilemma. But God comes up, as God always will, with a solution. And God's solution was to sacrifice an innocent substitute. God would sacrifice an innocent substitute. He had to be true to his word. Sin had to result in death. But what he did was he replaced the death of Adam and Eve with the death of an innocent substitute, a third party, an an animal. Look at Genesis chapter 3, verse 21. The Lord God made garments of skin for Adam and his wife and clothed them. Made garments of skin. Now, most people just read right through that. They don't even understand the picture that's being painted already at the very beginning of the Bible. You know, Adam and Eve sinned, and all of a sudden they knew shame for the first time. They knew guilt for the first time. They knew sin for the first time. They knew unholiness for the first time. They knew what it was like to be separated from God for the first time and separated from life as it was meant to be for the first time. No joy, no love, conflict between them and between them and God. And so they tried to fix it by covering themselves with fig leaves, right? Cover their shame, cover their guilt. They'd they'd make up the difference. They'd make things right, but it didn't work. God came down and said, no, you see, the consequence of sin is death, the fig leaf deal. Not only is it not fashionable, 
Some of you have had coffee, the rest of you are still trying to figure out why we're not worshiping in music right now. But the fig leaves weren't enough because sin was supposed to produce death. And so God came down, and though most people don't understand this, when he made garments of animals, out of animals for them, something happened in the garden that had never happened. There was death. I mean, imagine the horror of this, of this circumstance in this place of life and beauty. All of a sudden, there was death and blood. God killed these animals to cover Adam and Eve, and it was simply the fulfillment of Justice, sin equals death, but God was also fulfilling his need to offer mercy and forgiveness. And so he said, these animals will provide a temporary covering for you. Look at Hebrews chapter 9, verse 22. Without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness whatsoever. So God was just. He was true to his word. He punished sin. He exercised justice on an innocent third party, but he was also true to his nature of grace. He showed mercy and forgiveness. He satisfied both grace and justice. Now, of course, the problem doesn't stop there. I wish it did, but it moves on into our lives because Adam and Eve's sin didn't die with them. Every single one of us has inherited Adam and Eve's sin as our own nature. It was inherited by the entire human race. We were created by God, but we were created by God in Adam and Eve. We've come through their genetic code, and it was, dis- it was rendered distorted and dysfunctional. It was destroyed by sin, and so we, born through their genetic line, have been tainted by that sin. We've been infected by their disease. Look at Romans 5.12. Sin entered the world through one man, Adam, and death through sin. And in this way, death came to all men because all sinned, every one of us. Some of us dress up nicer. Some of us act nicer. Some of us appear nicer. But we're all made of the same stuff. And all of us have sinned, which means all of us deserve justice. And a holy and just God demands it, death. But God also wants to give mercy and forgiveness. In order to give people any kind of hope, in order to continue having any kind of dealing with mankind, God had to continue to satisfy both justice by punishing sin and grace by offering forgiveness. And that's what the whole Bible's about. I'll give you two examples from the beginning parts of the Bible and what's called the Old Testament today, the Hebrew Scriptures. There, there was a time when Israel, God's chosen people, were held as slaves in a place called Egypt, which was the superpower of that day. We have an Egypt today, but it was the superpower of the world back then. And the ruler, the king of Egypt, was a guy named Pharaoh, and he had no respect for the one true God at all. He thought he was the God. And He had no respect for God's people, and he enslaved them and treated them poorly. And so God came down, as he always does, to redeem them, to restore them, to save them. And he gave ten plagues, miraculous events that were going to break the back of Pharaoh. But one after another, through the first nine, Pharaoh said, no, I won't relent. And so finally God said, okay, I've offered you mercy and forgiveness all this time. I've been trying to turn your heart, but it won't turn. It's hard as a rock. And so now all I can give you is justice. It's what you deserve. I'm going to give you justice. Death is going to come to Egypt. Every firstborn of all that's living, animal and mankind, is going to die. Justice is going to be meted out. 
But he said, but Israel is the one in bondage. They're the victims here. And though they too are sinners, they weren't now rebelling against God. They wanted to worship him and follow him. And so he says, I don't want to mete out justice on them just because Pharaoh won't receive mercy. I don't want them to die. And so he does something interesting. He says, you can take a little animal, a little animal, a little lamb with, without blemish, without impurity, and you can kill it. Doesn't deserve to be killed, but you can kill it. And you can apply the blood to the door frames of your house and the window frames of your house. And if you do that, I'll spare you. Look at how he says it in Exodus chapter 12, verse 23. When the Lord goes through the land to strike down the Egyptians, he will see the blood on the top of the sides of the doorframe and will pass over that doorway, and he will not permit the destroyer to enter your houses and to strike you down. In Egypt, God's justice was satisfied through an innocent substitute. So like in the garden where Adam and Eve were given the offer of forgiveness because an innocent substitute, animals died, so again in Egypt the same thing happened. God satisfied justice with an innocent substitute so he could offer grace. And this is called the first Passover lamb, where the death angel would pass over those who applied the blood, who obeyed God, who used free choice to do what God said to do in order to protect themselves. Now, it wasn't an easy decision because, you know, lambs were a part of the family. They were not only an economic reality, but often they were part of the family, and this lamb did nothing wrong, and it was innocent would have been hard to say, I'm going to kill this lamb and just apply the blood to my house. And, and some didn't. And those that didn't, because they rejected the offer of forgiveness, could only receive one thing, and that was justice. And their firstborn children died. They didn't have to die, but because they didn't apply the blood, because they didn't obey God, they died. By the sacrifice of the little lamb, God could be just and yet still forgive. God made it clear the blood had to be applied. But if you don't apply the blood... You're free to make that choice, but with Adam and Eve in the garden, what you're doing is you're choosing to disobey. You're choosing death. The choice is yours. Again, another story in the Bible. In Israel, as they were God's people in the land of Palestine, God's justice was satisfied time and time and time again through an innocent substitute. You've probably read about it in the Old Testament. If you've read any part of the Old Testament about how they would sacrifice lambs and bulls and goats and all kinds of animals that were innocent and pure as a substitute for the people of God. Hebrews chapter 9, 7 describes a part of that. It says, only the high priest, one man in all of Israel, entered the inner room, that's the Holy of Holies, where God's presence dwelled, and he could only enter God's presence one time a year. One man could enter into God's presence one time a year and never without blood which he offered for himself and for the sins of the people that had been committed in ignorance. And so, over time, multitudes of animals died over the years as a covering for the sin of mankind so that man could have some kind of at least incomplete relationship with God. One time a year, one man could go into God's presence and he could offer sacrifices for all of God's people. And in so doing, they could keep living and God could be both just and merciful. I mean, it's the whole story of the Bible. God has to be just. Death has to be the result of sin. But God has to forgive. It's in his nature to forgive. And so he satisfies justice with an innocent substitute and then offers forgiveness. But there are limits to this solution, right? Because innocent animal sacrifices were incomplete and temporary substitutes at best. I mean, 
The sacrifice of a lamb doesn't completely cover the sin of mankind. Hebrews chapter 9 verse 13 says it. The blood of goats and bulls and the ashes of a heifer sprinkled on those who are ceremonially unclean sanctify them so that they are outwardly clean. They're partially clean, but inside they still know the darkness. Inside they still know the destructive force of sin in their lives. The animals were able to satisfy God's justice, but it was an incomplete and temporary substitute. I mean, we in the 21st century can understand this. I mean, you could sacrifice a cat for a dog, but it really wouldn't be a good sacrifice, right? A hundred cats killed wouldn't make up for the goodness of one dog. Isn't that, about, isn't that right? How many cat lovers did I just lose in this talk? I'm just kind of curious. Good, because we don't want you here anyway. That's all right. No, no, I'm just kidding. That's a joke. But you understand that the sacrifice of something smaller than for something that's larger is, is incomplete ultimately and temporary and this is how it was with these animals though it allowed God to satisfy his justice for a time it allowed him to offer forgiveness it wouldn't be forever it was incomplete and thus God made a promise God said if there's going to be a complete offer of of forgiveness if my justice is going to be satisfied for eternity and forgiveness is going to be complete for eternity then there has to be a sacrifice of something far greater of someone far greater another human being but there's a problem because all human beings come from Adam and Eve and through the seed of man comes the sin of Adam and thus death and so the only sacrifice that could be an adequate substitute from humanity is one that was innocent, pure, without spot. And that was impossible until the miracle of a birth where a woman produced a son, but not with man's seed, not someone from Adam's line, but from God himself. You need to know that God promised that he would provide a complete and lasting substitute. God promised it. In Genesis chapter 3, verse 15, he says, I'm going to put enmity between you and the you there is speaking about the devil, the evil one, the tempter in the garden. He says, I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your offspring and hers, and he, her son, will crush your head, and you will just strike his heel. The promise to the evil one is, you will hurt my cause for a time, but my Son, my Redeemer, the one who comes from this woman of promise will crush your head and destroy evil forever. In Isaiah chapter 53, he gets more specific. Look at verses 5 and 7. But he, this one that was promised, was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace, it was all on him. And by his wounds, we are healed. He was led like a lamb to the slaughter. Hundreds of years before Jesus was born on this planet, it was promised that a human being would be born, a special human being without sin, who would become the innocent substitute where God's justice would be satisfied for all sin and he could make the offer of forgiveness complete and forever. What so many people don't know about the cross is that all the other sacrifices from the first animal killed in the Garden of Eden all the way through all the animals killed in the Old Testament as sacrifices for mankind, they were all pointing forward to God's ultimate promise of forgiveness. And Jesus Christ came in fulfillment of that promise. 
Jesus Christ was the fulfillment of God's promise from the very beginning. Jesus was pictured in the animals that became garments for Adam and Eve. Jesus Christ was pictured in every goat, in every bull, in every lamb, in every pigeon, in every living sacrifice made for humanity. Jesus Christ came in fulfillment. Look at Galatians chapter 4, verses 4 and 5. But when the time had fully come, God sent his son, born of a woman, born under law, to redeem those under the law that we might receive the full rights of sons. Born through a woman because it had to be a part of humanity or it couldn't be an adequate sacrifice, but born, conceived by God so that he could be perfect without blemish. Look at Matthew one twenty one. She will give birth to a son and you're to give him the name Jesus. That's rescuer, that's savior because he will save his people from their sins. John one twenty nine. look at how he's announced. The next day, John the Baptist saw Jesus coming toward him and said, look, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. He came as the Lamb. He came as the substitute. He came as the garment that could cover our sin, satisfy God's justice, and forever allow God to offer us mercy and forgiveness. And he could do it because, unlike us, he lived a perfect and innocent life. He lived a perfect and innocent life in our place. I mean, look at 1 Peter 2, 22. He committed no sin. No deceit was found in his mouth. He was the lamb without spot. He was the lamb without blemish. He was the innocent and pure substitute for our sin. He did what none of us ever did. He fulfilled the law. He lived his whole life without breaking God's law. He lived up to God's standards of justice. You know what Jesus did? This is interesting. Jesus earned life. And you know what justice demanded? Justice demanded that while all other human beings die, Jesus lives. That's justice because he never sinned. But then the great swap happened. He died on the cross. He who earned life, he who should never die, died on the cross in our place as the innocent substitute. That's what makes the cross gold-worthy and silver-worthy and diamonds-worthy. That's what makes the cross worthy to be hung on our walls as beautiful decoration and reminders of God's goodness. That's what allows the cross to be worn as rings and necklaces because, you see, the cross is the only hope for mankind. It's where Jesus, the only possible perfect substitute actually in love, died for us and took our place. Look at 1 Corinthians 5, 7. For Christ, our Passover lamb, has been sacrificed. I mean, God's pointing back and says, you remember when Israel was in Egypt and, and I had you kill that innocent lamb and the blood was applied to the door frames of your house and you thought it was so horrible that we would kill a lamb just so that you wouldn't die. It was simply pointing to when I gave my son when the creator of this world would take on flesh and he would torturously and gruesomely die and bleed so that his blood could become a covering for you so that I could satisfy justice because I can't be just and not be true to my word. Death has to result from sin, but I put it on myself so that I can then offer you forgiveness. Look at John 19.30 when he had received the drink. Jesus is on the cross when this passage is taking place and they gave him a drink that was part of the custom of being on the cross to kind of calm the pain and Jesus said it's finished 
And with that, he bowed his head and gave up his spirit. What's finished? The whole story of God, the whole story of man. The story that started in the garden when God satisfied justice by killing animals to cover the sin and shame and distortion of Adam and Eve. It's now finished because that animal was an incomplete sacrifice, but now the complete sacrifice has been made. It is finished. It is finished. Every lamb and every goat that ever died, those were incomplete sacrifices, but now it's finished because the one true, innocent, worthy sacrifice has been made. It is finished. It is finished because it comes from the word, the Greek word, tetelestai, which means paid in full. Payment has been made. What is the payment? Death. The wages of sin is death, and we've all died. The only thing a just God can do is bring about death for our sin. And he did on Jesus, the perfect substitute. And now he offers us grace and forgiveness. It's finished. What so many people don't understand is that Christianity stands out. The story of Jesus stands out. It's different than any other religious expression on the planet. Every other religion on the face of the earth is all about performance. Examine them. Do a study. Every single religious expression on this planet is all about our performance. What we do for that particular God or for those gods, what we do to get their pleasure and to get their privileges, to get their blessings, to get their favor, what we do, it's about our performance, except for one, Christianity. Christianity is not about our performance. Christianity is about the one true God's performance, not what we do for him, but what he did for us. He substitute himself so that he could be just and still be forgiving. But there is a requirement. Do you remember the Passover lamb in Egypt with Israel? God gave a means of forgiveness so justice could be satisfied and forgiveness could be claimed. The blood of a little lamb had to be applied to your home or death would come. It had to be applied. You could be forgiven, but you had to apply the blood. Well, the same is true with Jesus. Jesus has made it possible for you to be forever forgiven, forever to be given life, but, but you have to apply his death on the cross to your life. You have to use your free will to choose it. If you don't, like the Israelites who lost their firstborn on that day because they refused to apply the blood to their homes, so you will lose your life forever because you've refused to apply the blood of Jesus to your life. Here's what we need to understand. Jesus' death on the cross, the reason the cross has become such an embraced and beautiful symbol around the world is because Jesus' death on the cross is relevant and essential for every single one of us. It doesn't matter what nationality, what ethnicity, what economic level, what education level, what kind of religion you come from, whether you believe in God or not, the death on the cross of Jesus is relevant and essential for everyone. And yet many of us aren't experiencing its relevance. Here's the truth. Many of us are letting our sins crucify us and torture us and still destroy our lives. Our lives are being lived dysfunctionally and destructively because sin is crucifying and torturing us every day. And the sad reality of that is that it's not necessary because Jesus has already been tortured, crucified, and destroyed by our sins. He already experienced that in our place. We don't have to be crucified by our sins because he's been crucified by our sins. We need to give them to him, put them on his cross, or we'll keep bearing our own. 
In John 10.10, Jesus says, I've come that you might have life and have it in all of its fullness. But most of us aren't experiencing that because we're still experiencing the full consequence of our sin instead of allowing him to have our sin. Some of us are denying that we even have sin, that the choices we've made are sinful, and so we can't put those on the cross, and so we're going to keep being destroyed by them. John chapter 3, verse 18, whoever believes in Jesus is not condemned, no longer guilty, no longer going to be destroyed by sin. Justice has been satisfied on Jesus, but whoever does not believe stands condemned already. All God can give them is justice because they've not believed in the name of God's one and only substitute, God's only Son. You know why the cross is important? You want to make sense out of the cross? Well, here it is. Without Jesus, we will receive only God's justice. Without Jesus, you only have one option to receive God's justice because God is just and must punish your sin. And if you won't let him punish Jesus with your sin, he will have to punish you with your sin. Doesn't want to, but that's your choice. No person will ever be dismissed from God's presence for eternity. No person will ever experience hell. No person will ever be tortured or crucified by their sin in this world because God wants it for them, because God has taken the penalty on himself for them. But if you choose not to apply it, you've chosen your own death. But with Jesus, we will receive only God's grace because then Jesus receives all of God's justice. Jesus paid the full price for our sin. It is finished, but the blood must be applied. We have to choose it. We have to receive it. And why wouldn't we? If I'm standing before a firing squad and some person comes and says, I want to take your place, how foolish to say, nah, This bullet's for me. Stupid. Jesus has taken your place. He's already died. By taking your own death, you're not saving him. You're just ruining your own life. It would be crazy to still choose to die. Look at Acts chapter 20, verse 21. I have declared to both Jews and Greeks, to all humanity, that they must turn to God in repentance and faith in our Lord Jesus because when you return to God in repentance what you're doing is you're acknowledging your sin I'm guilty I deserve death I deserve shame I deserve to be separated from you I deserve nothing from your hand and we turn from that but then we turn to Jesus and say he's my substitute you loved me so much you sent him and I'm going to trust what he did on the cross to be the satisfaction of your justice and I'm going to trust him and his resurrection to be my source of forgiveness and deliverance and I am going to receive what you've done for me by looking to and applying the results of my Passover lamb. Here's the application. If we want to experience God's grace rather than his justice, then we must receive Jesus through repentance and faith. We must receive him. This is your moment. It's not a call to religion. It's not a call to Northridge. It's not a call to some new behavior because it's not about your performance at all. This is why religion is so destructive. Religion calls you to perform for God. That's not what Jesus calls you to. Jesus calls you to accept his performance for you. 
and you just have to receive him. And this is your moment. Before we move into worship, I'm going to ask you if you'd just bow with me in a word of prayer just for a moment. If you'd bow with me, if you're watching on demand, if you'd just take this moment and honor it. If you're here, no matter religious or irreligious, if you've never ever repented, acknowledged your sin and turned from it and turned to Jesus in faith, this is your moment. Take my words in this prayer, but make them the expression of your heart to God. Just say, God, I, I need the life that only you can give me. With Adam and Eve, I've sinned against you. With all of humanity, I've sinned against you. And I know you're just. And the right penalty for my sin is to never know you. Death. But I know that you sent Jesus to die in my place as my substitute. And so I'm giving you my sin and asking you to put it on his cross. And I know he rose again, and so I'm putting my faith in him as my living Savior to give me new life. In Jesus' name, amen. If you just prayed with me. I just can't encourage you enough to let us know. I mean, it's what we work for. It's what we pray for. It's what we're here for, to help people take that step. And so it's not something to be embarrassed about. It's something to proclaim. Let us know so that we can celebrate it. And also, we want to put in your hands some information about next steps you can take in your relationship with God. And so in your program that we hand you, if you're in one of our live services, you just take out the connection card that's inside and rip it out. It's simple. Fill it out so we can get the information to you and check that circle at the bottom that says, I prayed to receive Jesus. And then it's so easy to get to us. There are boxes at every exit of the auditorium. You just throw it in there and we'll do the rest of the work. And if you're watching on demand online, just hit the what next button and we'll do the same for you. The conclusion of the matter is very, very interesting. We're talking about picturing something that's hard to picture in this world. So many in this world just don't understand the cross. They see it in gold and they see it in silver and they just don't understand what the big deal about the cross is. Why did God have to do this anyway? Why? Well, you see, when you finally apply the sacrifice of Jesus to your life, when you finally experience the forgiveness that he came to make possible for you, when you finally realize that the justice you deserve for your sin is no longer on you but now on him and that now what you have is the goodness and forgiveness of God in your life then and only then does it become easy to picture this the cross makes sense in fact it doesn't just make sense it's the only thing that makes sense it's the only thing that can make sense out of life and in this world and when we apply it we finally have what Jesus came to give us, life and life to the full. And it's my prayer you're experiencing it.